Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we continue the injustice of the IRP-5 story, the case, the trial, the things that simply were as crooked as you can imagine. And tonight we deal with one word, and you'll never know how impactful this word is, bias in the court. From day one, bias was demonstrated in the proceedings regarding the IRP-5 story, their case. Tonight we're going to deal with that word, bias, and the impact of it in America's criminal justice system, namely the IRP-5 story. Hang on, folks. We take off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Samson Riddle, William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team tonight, along with our very special guest, the IRP5. And uh, we're very happy tonight to have them here as we get ready for a continuation, if you will, of the injustice, the things that happen in this case. Uh, we have been blown away the last few weeks of telling this story, and I'll tell you what, folks, the plot thickens even more tonight as we deal with bias uh, in this case. David, we were speaking prior to the show and the importance of dealing with this word. Uh, it was seen all over the place in this type of proceeding. And I'll tell you now, when you have bias in a case, you might as well pack it up and put a lock on the courtroom doors because... Nothing is going to come out of there that is just. David, your thoughts as we get ready to get into this discussion. Yeah, the, uh, as uh, Dr. Bean said in his review of our case, Judge Arguello's uh, pro-prosecution bias was on display throughout the trial. Uh, I think uh, the public is going to be amazed to hear exactly just how much occurred in our case and just how much bias raised its ugly head so many times. We look forward to getting into that and to uh, drilling down to some of the details. I don't think the American public truly understands just how rigged the system is and how difficult it is for average people to uh, get a fair shake uh, in, in, a, in a federal court of law. No, without question. And uh, Look, we can believe that we have the greatest system in the world incorrect. We can believe that there's no greater system of justice in the world. Incorrect. Tonight we deal with this, and there's a really a type of really uh, delusional public that believes that the justice system works. I can tell you right now, it takes one loved one, one person, to uh, deal with the uh, the injustice of your family member, of someone close to you that you may know, that has suffered from this type of behavior, should not be in America's court system whatsoever. And that is not what the founding fathers uh, expected. Uh, in a criminal justice system, the a person's right to due process, bias throws that out the window. 
the right that I'm presumed innocent, innocent until proven guilty. Bias throws that thing out of the window. So everything that we were taught to believe, bias is a killer of any realm or any type of justice that one may seek uh, in the criminal justice system. Uh, folks, feel free to dial into the show tonight at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. On the other side of the break, we deal with current events coming up. And I'll tell you what, Jacob Blake, top of the list. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Get ready for the day, buddy. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Do we have a gun? What's up? Do we have a gun. Why do you ask that, kiddo? Can I play with it? No. No, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf in the closet, under your sweatshirt. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets. In the boots with the red bases, and the chest beside the bed? I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in. But what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. And what if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? No, buddy. My gun. But it is our gun. In our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you. But, Dad, you're not always here. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. 
But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crime. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence on average 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip-up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to perform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, and uh, tonight aims to be a humdinger, if you will, as we begin to continually unmask the criminal justice system in this country. We're going to get to that in a few moments, but there are some current events going on in the country right now we have to definitely deal with. Uh, Everybody is aware of who Jacob Blake uh, is, the man that was shot seven times in the back in Wisconsin, Um, and here is the point, and we'll chime in with the, with the other hosts and the RP5 if they want to chime in on this, uh, immediately following the shooting of Mr. Blake, uh, he was taken to a hospital, went through emergency surgery, has no filling uh, below the waist, uh, and this is what was claimed as people began to try to attack the character of Mr. Blake said that he had outstanding warrants for his arrest, said that he was wanted for sexual assault. Uh, All of these things start rolling out. They handcuffed Mr. Blake to his hospital bed. A man that cannot walk, severely injured, and come to find out days later when the police department decided to unhandcuff him that the warrants had been thrown out, that there was no active warrant for his arrest, which means, according to sources, 
Mr. Blake was simply breaking up a fight between two women in the neighborhood. And then they went further to say, well, he had a knife in the floorboard of his car. Now, somebody tell me this. You have to live under a rock not to know that police shootings have been rampant. Tell me why Mr. Blake, with his children in the car, would automatically run to reach for a knife with three or four loaded guns pointing at him, chasing him, and not knowing, or knowing rather, that this probably is going to cost him his life in front of his children. That makes absolutely no sense. Kendrick. Now, what witnesses say, and that that knew Jacob Blake personally, he was going to his car because his children were screaming. So Uh he was going to go check to to try to calm them down like, hey, my kids are screaming. They see the cops. They see the fight. He goes around to try to, you know, he's visibly upset because, you know, all this stuff's going on. But they said he was trying to go talk, check on his kids to calm him down. Mm-hmm. So there was no knife. I mean, and why are you going to go through the driver's seat to go get a knife on the other side of the truck? Oh, it wasn't the passenger they're side claiming, where they claimed it yeah, was. Yeah, they're claiming, and really it's not clear where the knife was supposedly at. Mm-hmm. But the, the issue is most of the witnesses, there was like three or four witnesses said, well, he was going to check on his children because they were screaming in the back seat. Makes perfect sense. And, if, and then they let Mr. Blake come down the hill come around these are steps if he was a threat why did you why did you wait to, until he got to his car and his back was turned to fire not one shot to stop him seven shots that was an attempt to kill that's why it's attempted what the claim is is that this is attempted murder anyone else thoughts on that well i think the thing is you know, when you watch the video, the most you see this man is unarmed. You see him moving away. And then the thing that really got me, they were so close to this man, they could have used anything to try to restrain him. But there was nothing there, to restrain. There, there was nothing to restrain. I mean, but but it, there was it, the point was they were so close to him. They were so close. They were point blank range with this man. And you had kids in the car. And, you know, and we, and we as a country, we've seen this so much. We just saw this a couple years ago with Philando Castillo, police officer right there at the car door. His daughter was less than three feet away. The exact same situation where you have gunfire into a car, putting others at risk. And then, and then they always, the thing that always bothers me is they always come up with this smear campaign after the fact. It's just, and it's like, you cannot deny the fact that number one, he's unarmed, and number two, he's—you know—he got shot in his back, or you know, it's—it's it's just an incredible, incredible thing that you, we see over and over again. This constant smear campaign that tries to justify the actions of these police officers—it's—it's it's amazing. Well, and then you go ahead, Demetrius and Lamont um, until. Until we keep seeing the Jacob Blake, we keep seeing this over and over and over again. When will America wake up and look at an African-American men, not as threats, but as a fellow human being? We just saw uh, Kendrick and I looked at a video. They, they said, well, he needed to obey the officer's uh, request, his, uh, his prompts, whatever. But you see where 
Caucasian people, white people, can disrespect a cop. We had a video out there where he's he's uh, yelling at him, calling him, uh, cussing him out. His gun is drawn. He throws out and he says, I will kill you. Not one shot fired. He is verbally threatening a, a, a law enforcement, calls him a pig. Yet Jacob Blake is trying to, to stop a fight, to help his community. Until, you, until America sees black men, myself, my brothers, as a human being, this will continue. And I'm sick and tired of seeing it. Every time you look up, well, I was threatened. I, and like William said, you could have hit one of his kids, three of his kids, and a, a bullet could have strayed and hit one of them. When, again, you have to see us as a human being to respect us. And, and just one other thing I want to say to your point. Until people start to really digest what they're seeing, and, and this is one of the things you have to thank God for social media and these and our cell phones, basically. Because right now, that's, that's the thing that's telling the story of what's been happening this whole time. So as you look at this case, what I think, the thing that I think about the most is you think about Walter Scott. Walter Scott was the, the black man that was shot in, in uh, North Charleston. He was captured on video over the fence. The key to that was the police officer, you saw him throw something down by his side to justify the number of shots. And I believe he got shot eight times, and I may be wrong, but it was a, it was a significant amount of shots in the back as he was running away from a police officer. So does this not sound familiar? Is well, this not the same thing over and over again? Well, it's the same outrage happening in the George Floyd case. Uh, you got people on, the, on social media stating that Mr. Floyd had a white substance of a pill, something in his mouth, and that's what killed him. Let me be clear. What killed this man, and the gentleman actually made the statement, he's tired of people giving knee-jerk reactions to uh, the George Floyd situation. My response was, no, the knee-jerk reaction was the knee on the neck of George Floyd for nine as minutes. he begged for his life. So hypothetically, if Mr. Floyd had messed around with any type of drugs, it's not a death sentence, if that was the case. I don't believe that was the case, but let's just hypothetically say he was. What killed this man, the coroner ruled asphyxiation, really a crushing of the windpipe. And he went into cardiac arrest. That's what killed Mr. George Floyd. So as these people continue to, again, try to demonize and make light of the murders and the attempted murder of our black men in this country. And I'll make, let me be clear. I don't care if it's a white individual, Asian Native American, whatever you want to call it. The abuse by cops is clear. And our, our, our outrage here on AJC Radio Just Cause is equally uh, outraged for anything and any human being that would suffer uh, at the hand of these officers and the abuse in which they levy out. Yeah, Dave Banks here. I just, uh, people, they, they say that People are anti-police. I don't think people are anti-police. They just want to see a certain standard provided that 
giving police, they give the benefit of the doubt on everything, even when video shows they shouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt. The facts in this Jacob Blake case, at least it's being put out, are somewhat uh, confusing and contradictory. Now, one of the things they said, well, if he was a problem and he was a threat earlier, why didn't you take him down to the ground and cuff him? Uh, instead, uh, what we witnessed on video was them following the guy to the car. I don't understand that. If he's not obeying commands and his back is turned, you're just going to follow him to the car. He opens the door and to check on fire. his kids. Then, then you shoot him. I, I think those types of issues, people, and, and I just want to push back on that people who want to see justice for these men or, or at least a fair process. Uh, I also thought about the, the young man who uh, at the Kenosha shooting who was carrying the gun down the street. Uh, he ended up killing two people. But you watch the video, he's, he, has a, he has this assault rifle strapped to him. He's just walking right by police vehicles, waving and all this other type of stuff. Truthfully, can anybody deny if that was a black man walking down the street with an assault rifle hanging from him, the police would have had the same response? There's no way that that would have happened. And then we live here in Colorado. Another issue is how did the Aurora theater shooting suspect get taken? He didn't get shot. He got taken into custody. That's very bizarre given the fact when they found him, he was back in the back of the theater, getting ready to go back in, and he was loading his weapon. Mm-hmm. How did he not get shot with... He's in the position of loading weapons. What did he do? What sort of opportunity was given him to that's not afforded to other African Americans? It just... The facts in the Jacob Blake case just don't add up whatsoever. No, they do not. And the bottom line is reports of the shooting, William, that you referenced, North Carolina when he went into the church uh, and shot uh, the people at the AME church. Uh, yeah. The, the gentleman. That was in Charleston. Yeah. Charleston. Charleston out there. Well, guess what? They leaned this man up against the car, brought him bottled water. After that, they took him to Burger King because he was hungry. Right. Can someone begin to explain the logic when African-American men we see on video begging for a sip of water and you refuse them. Sergeant, and really quick, William, Sergeant, I believe it's Sergeant Brown uh, that they took into custody. He was a veteran, uh, was checking in for a two-day stint, county jail for being under the influence of some type of uh, substance or medication. Two days. We saw him on video beg for a Dixie cup of water, and they refused him. He explained to them he he had suffered different symptoms uh, after the war. Uh, This is a veteran who fought for our country, but he's black. They killed him in that chair. And immediately after they killed him, they came out and said, Oh, he had some other condition that took his life. We saw the video. He kept begging, please give me some water. 
But you can go into a church and kill nine, eight to nine people, and you're going to get not tap water, bottled water, and a trip to the nearest Burger King for a hamburger. This is sex. So to all the uh, folks out there on social media running your mouth about things, you simply are just as ignorant to reach the conclusions that you reach to say such vile things when we have these men dead uh, is a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Dennis, your thoughts? Yeah, I would say willfully ignorant. I mean, uh, it's, it's sad. I mean, I was in the military 20 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, I was on a special uh, ops group where we uh, provided uh, security for nu- a nuclear uh, uh, base. And I tell you, we had uh, we had uh, doctrine that said, you know, when we could and could not use deadly force. And to me, it's just amazing that it's almost like the police does not have doctrine. I mean, if you could shoot a man in the back, I mean, he's not even looking at you. And then add it at seven times, we got some major problems. I mean, we really need to look at what our policemen are being taught because apparently they don't know what deadly force is or, or what is the reasonable force that they should be using. Well, listen, the bottom line is they know exactly what deadly force is. They ignore the facts. Because if they didn't know what deadly force is, it would, it would, not, it would not be uh, uh, focused on one group of African-American people and not focused on white, uh, the white uh, folks that are breaking the law. Now, uh, the bottom line is this is a willful choice to shoot and to kill African-Americans. You can say what you want to say. We got the proof. We have everything everywhere that shows this is a bias uh, system from the police departments on up. It's biased. That's why they had to stop uh, frisking people in New York City for a long because it was just, well, you're black. Or if you're Mexican, uh, where's your green card? I mean, it's just unbelievable stuff. Uh, we're going to deal with this further, guys, uh, and appreciate the input. Samson, did you have a comment? Yeah, I was just going to go to, to Demetrius's point. It's like this is going to be a societal problem until we actually can all look at each other as human beings. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is like there have been so many shootings over. I mean, you took, just look in the last five years versus you know the twenty years before that, and it is ramping up at an exponential rate. And the fact of the matter is, is because cops have this type of immunity where they you know they're not going to get prosecuted and then nothing's going to happen to them, so they have no qualms about drawing a gun on somebody regardless of the if their family, if they're whoever's around them, they don't care about the stray bullets. They don't care about any of that stuff. They just care about, you know, at least seemingly like the, of getting a body count. That's sure. what they care about. Sure, David. Yeah, one final point. I think uh, what also happens is uh, the messaging uh, becomes sometimes too broad in these situations. And I don't care if it's Black Lives Matter or other organizations, you have got to keep the message narrowly focused on the particular issue at hand, what, what happens too often is uh, everybody's painted with a broad brush. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, white America, there are, there, are, there are plenty of white Americans that are not racist. And if you actually paint all white people with a, bad, with a broad brush of racism, uh, it, it, it's going to exacerbate uh, 
the issue to actually solve the problem because then people say, well, why are they calling me a racist? And some of the messaging and some of that stuff is promoted by the media. Uh, it's just too broadly. Uh, people are too broadly brushed with, with a, a racism tag as far as uh, white people are concerned. They need to be narrowly focused on the issue at hand where, where uh, you don't offend a lot of different people as far as that, because there are white people speaking out about these, these things. Well, without question, uh, my heart goes out to the, uh, when Mr. Floyd died, uh, excuse me, was killed, uh, I have never been moved so much by white Americans that were equally as outraged as I was. And I, I told the story once before, I'll tell it again. A white sheriff deputy, a young lady, Pulled up in her neighborhood. There were two black girls out there playing. The black girl was so afraid. She was so scared. And on the video, she just began to shake, visibly shaking. And I felt for her, but then I felt for the officer. And the deputy sheriff got out the car, kneeled down on one knee, and said, I'm not going to hurt you. With tears kind of just pouring down her face, I'm not going to hurt you. Uh, so to, to David's point, it, it is definitely a good point. Uh, the problem is that, and it's not to excuse those who paint uh, the entire system as racist, because you got to live in their shoes to understand why emotionally, as death after death, young person after young person, African-American men are dying. The emotions are so high. It's like that little girl. She, didn't, she wasn't pointing at this officer because she was white, but what she had seen and what she had heard, she was scared to death of this officer. That's why it is so critical uh, that the message get out clear. What's happening? What's going on? To the officers that honor the badge and just calls AJC Radio, we salute you. And honor you for what you do. And it's a disgrace and it's very sad that uh, you, the good officers, have to deal with some of the stress of knowing how will I be looked at, how will I be treated. David, we're going to go to break and come back with this show. Well, one of the things that's really sad is when you think about it, we could spend this whole show and still not finish talking about this subject and the number of men that have been killed. You look at the Daniel Prude case out of Rochester. Just before the show, the mayor of Rochester suspended seven officers because of his death. Now, David, Daniel Prude was having a mental health crisis. They called the police, uh, and they put a bag over his head, knelt on him, and he died five days later. Well, I just found out this happened in March. It took this long for those officers to be suspended? That's outrageous. And then the mayor says that there's systemic racism in his city. Well, if you knew this, they should have been suspended months ago. Oh, right. And again, we, we speak to the culture uh, that's embedded in the culture. I keep saying this. When a, community, when a community's culture is messed with, it's very, very hard to break that culture because the cultures run very, very deep. Uh, I did hear yesterday about a gentleman that was killed on a bicycle. Do you know that story, Dave? Yes, I saw that. He was riding his bicycle. They thought that he was another um, suspect, and they shot him. 
and they killed him. They killed him. Riding a bike. Riding a bike. And then you have the jogger that was uh, arrested. They thought he was running away from a domestic dispute that he had nothing to do with. He was simply exercising. He was just simply exercising. Look, look, folks, we can go on and on. We are going to visit this topic. I want to give you a quick reminder. Next Thursday, we look back at 9-11. Here's what you don't know. The IRP-5 were in a position to to keep the homeland safe from another 9-11. We're going to deal with that next week. What was the vision of these men and what did they see at Ground Zero that motivated them to create software that could save a nation? That's next Thursday as we look back on 9-11. The other side of the break, we're coming back. Bias in America's criminal justice system. How did it get there? When did it start? And how did it spiral so out of control? Especially in the IRP5 case. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I wish I was in school. If only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip recess. I wish I was in school. I wish I was in school. I really wish I was in school. School ends, but free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org slash summer meals for health. Together, we're feeding America. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? 
Prunes are dried plums. How do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. children die of heat stroke after being forgotten in a vehicle in 70 degree weather it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven at 104 degrees heat stroke begins followed by loss of consciousness yeah. an hour and a half or so child live without them forever look before you lock brought to you by kids in cars and welcome back ladies and gentlemen to AJC radio tonight as we continue the story of the IRP-5, and as we have been talking earlier, we went into uh, some of the things, that, again, 
what makes bias such a damaging uh, situation uh, in our criminal justice system? People talk about bias, and they talk about that in regards to what the courts now have done, that when you step into a courtroom, everything is against a defendant in a chair, everything. And bias, when you step in, that means that anybody in that courtroom and the proceedings has formed a conclusion, and they have no intention of making that any different. Kendrick, your thoughts on that? The thing about bias is it becomes clear that uh, the courts and the prosecution are on the same side. So there really is never a fair shake when it's basically two-on-one. Now, our system claims it's supposed to be an adversarial system where the, the court is supposed to be this referee, and they're supposed to be just as critical to the prosecution and the government as you are to any defendant when it comes to the law. But that doesn't happen. The, the truth is both of them get a paycheck that says United States government on it. They get paid from the United States of America, and that's who they work for. So when one of their coworkers, the prosecution, comes into your courtroom, you feel that I need to basically do give them the favor. And the one thing that shocked me was the statement, in the light most favorable to the, the government. Yeah, that's just that's just that's not fair. So if if you're telling one side of the story and I'm telling side of the story, and you say, well, I'm gonna let the government say theirs got a little more weight on that is true and yours is not. How's that fair? Well, it's not, and it's the same thing in state cases where the jury is told it is our position to lead most favorable to the prosecution. Now, in some state cases, judges will counter that and say that because of the office of the district attorney, this is state again, because of the office, more by their own admission, People believe there's more prestige with that office and that these folks are really there to find the truth. They make statements. They say, well, if you're in, they said it, uh, in cases here, if you're in the courtroom, you must have done something wrong. So it is your job as the defense to, to prove, uh, and this is not how it's supposed to be, but as the defense, you have to prove to that jury who's already been set in their mind that, you know what? There's just something here, but nobody would be arrested for nothing. You know why? Most people are naive to the system, and they believe just like we all believe. If you tell the truth, you win your case. That's not the case at all. And the thing is, I mean, when you look at the presumption of innocence versus looking at all evidence in the light most favorable to the government, it spits in the face of being innocent until proven guilty. If you have to look at the evidence, the evidence should basically be tie goes to the run. If there is evidence that says something for the defense and then there's evidence that says something for the prosecution, then if you're innocent until proven guilty, the prosecution has not proven anything. At that point, it's a wash. But if you look at everything in the light most favorable to the government, you have just thrown that presumption of innocence out. It totally spits in the face of what the entire constitution is about and it shows the bias of the court system and all it takes like to kendrick's point the judge and the prosecutor work for the same corporation per se they get paid by the same company and at the end of the day to keep themselves both employed 
the court leans towards the prosecution and innocent defendants end up going to jail because their presumption of innocence is thrown out the window. Oh, absolutely right. And, and that is, again, the unfair uh, proceedings in criminal proceedings that uh, the judge is there to be referee to ensure fairness on both sides. In this case, Judge Christine Arguello uh, leaned towards the case most favorable to the government of the United States. As a result of that, uh, the RP5 went to prison, wrongfully convicted because the referee threw the game. And forced the game because she did not allow the evidence of the defense. Yeah, so she ensured that the prosecutor, that basically, hey, this game is thrown, the gamble is in, uh, prosecutor, uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Kirsch, you will win, and I will see to it because I will not let the defendants well, present their case. Well, in that case, she should be disbarred immediately. Every attorney, the prosecution, uh, the government of the United States who proceeded in this case should be disbarred, along with the judge that you really uh, uh, did uh, – you were basically at the behest of this judge who was biased against these men. The RP5, not only was she biased against them, but we talk about Luana Banks-Clark, biased against her. You don't belong on any bench, period, uh, as a judge uh, in the courtrooms of America under no circumstances. Demetrius. Again, we have to remember back in 2010, we were still with our attorneys. She said in open court for David Zappolo and Ken Barnes, she, in open court, she says, I don't think that these two should be a part of this case. Within two hours, Matthew Kirsch came up with some legal jargon, and then she says, oh, now it's clear in my mind this was a scam. You're supposed to be a referee. How You make this in light. Again, back to your point to uh, light most favorable to the government within two hours, you come to you surmise by Matthew Kirsch throwing out lies, no witnesses, no no evidence introduced, no expert witness, which would uh, she would not allow in the future, the, the next year. You say in open court, this is clear in my mind that this is a scam. This we haven't even set our trial date, and this is her uh, uh, assumption. We were never going to get a, a fair case because she said it's a scam in my mind. Well, she's not supposed to share that. Did she share that with the court? That was done in open court while we were sitting there. It's obvious to me this this, this was a scam. Not with the jury. No, the jury was not there. The jury was not even impaneled yet. So right. no evidence has been presented. So, But okay. we were presumed guilty by Judge Arguello. And it was already a scam in her eyes. And she hadn't heard a shred of evidence from our side is already the predisposition uh, towards the government. So what we witnessed, and people, we witnessed a crony system. She, Judge Arguello and Matthew Kirsch, what we witnessed was two people, along with uh, Ms. Sunita Hazra, the other assistant U.S. attorney, and John Walsh, uh, their boss, they conspired together to obtain an unlawful conviction against us. And all the facts in the case point to that. They had an opportunity to do the right thing. They had an opportunity to be fair. 
But at every turn in that trial, their bias was clear. It was on display that they were working together to convict us. Uh, the judge, jury, and executioner, all of them, uh, they they decide the the fate of your uh, of your life or liberty, people's life or liberty, and they're in there playing uh, playing to be their cronies. It's just it's unbelievable to watch this when when, when your liberty's at stake. Well, the the part here for a judge to say in front of the defendants, in front of the prosecution, to say I believe this is a scam pointing fingers at the IRP5 as David just said not one ounce of evidence or argument had been presented in the case you are basically saying look in Matthew Kirsch and John Walsh and Sunita Hazra in the face I'm with you that's what that's what you're doing because they they claim it to be a scam you basically gave them a license to proceed and let them know I'm with you. Go ahead, Kendrick. And one step further. Now, at that time, we had CJA attorneys. Not you would expect one of them to object to say, "Hey, you can't. You just can't make a decision. We're not even in trial yet." But they're getting a check from the government too, and they they saw the you know little cues that okay, if that's what the judge thinks, we're going to hand them right over to you. Because a lot of people try to criticize us. So why'd you guys go pro se? I would rather have a a fighting chance than just to be handed over on a platter, which that's that was the plan. Because if uh, uh, any any attorney worth his salt would have said, you know, you run our object, and you know what, we need to, you need to be recuse yourself because you clearly are biased against from day one. without even seeing the evidence. Yep, Dave Zapolo, and to Ken's point with the CGA attorneys, there was one of the hearings that we were at where the FBI agent. John Smith was on the stand and he was lying on the stand. I pointed out to my attorney, here is the evidence showing he's lying. You need to go up against him. Oh, no, we don't want to mess with him. We don't want to mess with him. You're messing with my life by saying you don't want to mess with him. We had an FBI agent lying on the stand and that we had a judge that said an FBI agent would never lie. This is what Judge Arguello said. Yes. That is correct. She said an FBI did, was that in the presence of the jury? I don't remember. I don't think so. Because, but, but honestly, Lamont, it shows her that statement is so biased. FBI agents don't lie. Well, we know that's not true. It's we've seen it over and over again in real time in news. They lie. That's their job, is to lie to you to get you to say something that you otherwise would not. Well, and then that's why I believe that Federal Judge Christina Guayle, this is, we, we say it's out of character for a judge because of what we believe the system to be. What we are finding that it is in the character, it is part of the protocol that our current system is under. And for the judge to say that, uh, I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, a lot went on here, uh, as far as bias, uh, and when you look as we have talked the last few weeks, you're thinking somewhere along the way, 
these the RP5 would have a chance to put on their case and to counter the government of the United States case with facts. This judge did not even allow them in any way. As we said last week with Andrew Abarelli, had the jury been allowed to hear, we tell our jurors to make a decision on your conscience. Go where your heart leads you to the truth. But then you remove all evidence for the defense to give them something to consider. If the jury believed they had heard all evidence and that this we have everything we need, why do you then come back with a question? Is there anything else? They were, they were at a point of pause. That's where they were. It is the judge's position, obligation, to give the jurors what they ask to ensure fair and equal equal treatment uh, during the process. And to my mind, it it made me think that if the jury was asking for more information, that means they remembered what they heard in court and were like, well, where's the evidence now for us to look over of the things that we heard? And that's kind of the biggest problem. Yeah, this is Clint. Uh, When you look at the bias that was involved, uh, to your point about the jury, Judge Arguello leaned on them with instructions, don't you hang my trial. Wait a minute. Do not hang my trial. Do not hang my trial. This trial cost the government $1.25 million to she put said, on she said against the these jury. defendants. And if you hang my trial, all of that cost is going to be against you. And that's We're going to put a lien on your on your asset to pay that money. Now, this, when you go in with that kind of instructions, you, you're, ter- well, you're terrorizing the jury. The jury is trying to obey the rules. They're trying to ask for, is there any more evidence? Because we heard uh, amazing things during the trial. Can we consider the whole case? But the, this bias, it, it, it goes into the jury. If the judge is saying that in open court, what is she saying behind uh, closed doors to the jury? The intimidation Whoa. is unreal. Have we ever heard that before? That a judge would say you are going to be financially responsible. And for the average person on the jury, if you say $1.2 million, you know what they're thinking? No college for my kids. Maybe on the street. This is where they're going. Where do you think they're going to put their loyalty? Not to the facts of the case. And if you're ever a juror, you uh, experience to be a juror, you leave your job, you're making, uh, you know, uh, an income. And when you go to be a juror, you have to forfeit that income for the week or two that you go to be a juror. You're, you're losing money to, to uh, go and hear a case. And you don't want to hear that you're going to incur debt to your household. You're already losing money. They're not paying me. Uh, the money that I work at my job, to, my paycheck is going to be cut because I'm serving my country as a juror. But then to be threatened to say I'm going to incur a million dollar uh, debt on my household? No way. There was, was, there, was any objection made 
to that? How do, how are we aware of that statement? This was was this a polling of the jury? How did we find out that the juror that the jury was told that? We heard it in open court. That was in open court. Yes. Are you kidding me? And there's a lot of stuff until uh, all trials are public, but people actually need to read transcripts. Even certain things. We had an issue where the judge told us something during a sidebar and then the transcript came up missing and it was direct challenge to her violating our, our fifth amendment right. But then, uh, and we'll dive into that. That, that became a central issue with uh, federal judge H. Lee Serkin who reviewed the case uh, with regards to her violating the fifth amendment right, which is probably the most sacred right. And one of the oldest rights uh, in a U.S. jurisdiction, uh, prudence and even English common law. You just can't force people to the stand to testify. There was just so many incidents of bias and uh, lawlessness in this uh, trial. It's just it's just really hard to hard to wrap your head around it. And as, as we break that, you could go down. We talked it about the very beginning. The fix was in. It's obvious this is a scam. Where are we going after that? Nowhere. No, so the trial's over. It's obvious to me this is a scam. Uh, The judge is not going to be fair uh, because you're already guilty in her eyes. You committed this scam. You did this. And so your evidence wouldn't matter anyway. And I'm not going to allow you to sit here and poison this jury. And and I'm speaking hypothetically and rhetorically uh, in in her voice. I'm not going to let you poison this jury uh, with your nonsense. You guys are guilty. And I'm going to... the ends justifies the means. So whatever I have to do to help the prosecution, I already know this is a scam. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure the prosecution uh, wins this case and uh, you guys get sent off to prison uh, because I've already made my decision. And that is something that is uh, – you cannot begin to comprehend that. How do you go into a courtroom? With five men believing in a system of justice, believing in that. So if somebody says, don't worry about it, there's no way you're going to be in a situation that's not good because you guys know the truth. And you have a judge on the bench wearing a robe as one of authority in a courtroom, and you tell the jury You will pay for this trial in the sum of one point whatever million. Do not hang my jury. Here's the problem. The reason juries hang, because people vote their conscience. They vote on what they've heard. They vote. You didn't have to waste your time telling the jury that. Because you from the beginning already intended to convict these men. That's why every possible door they tried to put on a defense was slammed in their face. Well, no, we're not going to let you tell the jury anything about intent. We would confuse the jury. No, you would educate the jury that this did these men without intent there many times is no crime. 
you accuse somebody of stealing money, but there's no money in any offshore accounts. There's no money in the banks in which they operate at. There's no extravagant purchases. That is where you go to the jury of intent. What did they have to gain? That, that is why the argument of intent had to happen. What did they gain here? If they set out with intent, there's a reward at the end of what you're trying to do. Not the case here. I'm going to take a quick break. Coming back, David is David Banks, one of the IRP5, will begin to break down more information along with the other five poor men. On bias, we've just touched the surface, and it's utterly disgusting. We'll deal with it on the other side of the break. This is ADC Radio. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of sixteen years. I was deployed uh, thirteen times. On well, my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because they don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. 
Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. 
By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Lame. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shamer. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents who are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. 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 Become a part of the community. Stop your friend from drinking and driving. You're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have began and uh, really to go down the road that we've been going down the last few weeks here with our special guest, the IRP5, uh, live tonight at AJC Radio. And I'll tell you what, folks, this is something that is troubling at best. It is the most horrific uh, account of events in the criminal justice system that I've ever seen. Uh, and I'll tell you what, any person that works in documentaries, Hollywood productions, this is a easy uh, project, if you will, to bring attention and awareness to a criminal justice system that has gone and fallen really off the, off the tracks. Uh, I'm going to play something for you real quick. Tune in as we deal with the drama. 
of the injustice of the RP5. Hang on. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to see. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Is this happening in America? The American dream has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. There you have it. The definition of bias is this. Prejudice in favor of or against one thing, person, or group compared to another. Usually in a way considered to be unfair. That is the classic definition that happened in this case. Prejudice against the IRP-5. Court-appointed attorneys, if I'm correct on that, uh, were assigned to the case. Did absolutely nothing. No one was the voice of the IRP-5 but them themselves. This is one thing that is mind-blowing to me. Yes, Demetrius Lamont, we have to remember David... Uh, this is Demetrius Harper. David and I, we had to fire two 
court-appointed attorney. One of the first CGA I received, he comes to me and says, hey, introduce himself. He said, I'm going to enter a guilty plea. I said, hold on one second. Are you going to listen to what I have to say? I had to fire him immediately on the spot because he was just there to broker uh, 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 me saying that I was guilty. And we are completely innocent. I told him that. But what, what infuriated me, he didn't want to talk to me about the case. So these uh, CGAs, as we've uh, heard tonight, they are in on the fix, as David said. They are here. They are there only to get you and to usher you into prison. It's, it's totally ludicrous. No, absolutely right. And, uh, David, I want to go with you uh, now as we get into some of the meat, if you will, uh, of this bias. Uh, we've heard enough that, I mean, there's enough information we've shared thus far that would qualify Judge, Federal Judge Christina Aguayo to be disbarred, period. She should be impeached by the United States Congress for her conduct. That is something that uh, the Honorable Congressman Simpson-Brenner, uh, with the late John Conyers, worked on was the argument of intent. That no case, that the statement by them is to say that no crime could even be charged without the element of intent proven to be correct or not. That says a lot. That says a whole lot. Cliff. Yeah, we have a caller on the line. We have uh, Wayne from Colorado who wants to make a comment. Wayne, thanks for calling. You're live. Uh, thanks for having me. Great show as always. I wanted to comment about the uh, uh, the bias in the judicial system. I think most people think, oh, we live in America. We've got a great system. But you listen to this case of the IRP-5, and you see from the very beginning that it was it was the conspiracy with the Department of Justice. They got the judge in on it. There was nothing that these men did. Everything they did was to help this country. And because they wanted to steal a software, they used the court system to destroy IRP solutions. I think it's disgusting. I'm grateful that you're spreading the word. And I think America needs to wake up because this is happening every day in federal court, in local courts, and if we don't do something, we're going to continue to have men and women serving wrongful convictions, and I thank you for what you're doing. And thank you, Mr. Wright, for your position on that. Very true, folks. Again, feel, feel free to call in 646-200-0628. I think the tragedy, David Banks, in regards to this particulars, most American people, if they knew the passion and the vision of IRP Solution was one thing, not another 9-11. As we approach the anniversary of 9-11 next week, ladies and gentlemen of America, let me be clear. The IRP-5 stood in position, stood as the shield. To avoid another attack on this country to the cities in the United States. And they got a thank you card from the United States government saying, thank you very much. Here's your go to jail card. Any American and any family that lost men and women to 9-11, the tragedy of that day, I believe, are going to be equally outraged as this story goes all over social media. Wait a minute. You stopped these guys? For what reason? 
Mr. Guayo? What reason, Mr. Kirsch? What reason, Sunita Hazra? John Walsh, why? And to know that these men were fighting for the safety of this nation and to go against it anyway because of bias and prejudice is an outrage. David, please. Well, like I said, we've discussed uh, a number of disturbing details regarding the bias in the case of sentence prison for eight years. One of the more shocking things that happened was the disappearance, the mysterious disappearance of a transcript where the judge compelled us to testify. It's so shocking. I mean, another issue is just another part of the cover-up. And what occurred, I can't really put it into words. It will... It should shock the conscience of every American. The Fifth Amendment of the United States states that no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against it, uh, himself. And that the Supreme Court uh, confirms that over and over again through case law going back into the 1800s. What happened to us when a judge, it's bad enough that Judge Arguello forced us to testify, but to double down on that type of corruption when we requested the transcript and to make the transcript disappear is so, so shocking. And for prosecutors who witnessed it, to stand by and stay silent is, a, is, is just more proof that the fix was in. Um, in our case, during a, during a sidebar, uh, the government, a little background, the government had ended its case about a week and a half early, suddenly ended it. And I think this was probably some strategy on the government's part. And we had to and we had to really scramble to get all of our witnesses to come and testify on our behalf for to put on our defense because many of many of whom were out of state and many of whom were actually law enforcement. Judge Arguello got frustrated when a witness from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation did not show up and he was subpoenaed to show up. Instead of holding the state agent accountable she unleashed a diatribe on us saying that we should have had the witnesses there instead of instead of enforcing the subpoena and contacting the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and telling that agent needs to be here is going to be held in contempt she did none of that more bias <clears throat> then after getting angry, she stated to us during a sidebar, well, if you don't have a witness here, one of you will have to testify or I'm going to rest your case. In other words, 
you will not be able to put on a defense. But that was already her posture from the very beginning of of the trial. We went back in total dismay. Uh, how can we, she forced us to take the stand. And, and obviously it's, it was somewhat of a panic situation because we have to be able to put on a defense. Our, our, our uh, liberty uh, is at stake here. Right. And we went back, we huddled uh, in dismay, and, well, we got to put somebody on the stand. Uh, so we did just that. Uh, in the middle of it, we're like, look, we can't continue to go down this path. We were forced to go down the path. Ultimately, we objected during a government cross-examination and said, this is just not right. You violated our Fifth Amendment right. We cannot continue. And all of this uh, occurred in front of a jury. So the jury witnessed all of this. You're telling me the judge makes this statement with the jury in the courtroom. Which statement are you referring to? That she would close the case? No, that was during a sidebar all right. where uh, the defendants, all the defendants were present and were present rather, and two prosecutors. So we went back to look to see if the CBI agent had actually showed up. He had not. And then we had to put somebody on the stand. It completely derailed our presentation and frustrated our presentation because now we're forced to put one of us on the stand to keep our defense alive. So the jury witnessed the testimony, the really forced testimony by this judge they were you guys were on the stand which the judge did she interrupted the strategy the strategy the game plan if you will that's like somebody uh going on the sidelines in an nfl game and grabbing the opponent's playbook well it's it's worse than that that's that's even a small part but to force to violate the fifth amendment a judge which they're supposed to be bound to and Anybody, you can, almost everybody in this country knows that you don't have to testify in any criminal trial. You don't. That, that's, that's very common knowledge. Right. And to do that in the middle of a presentation, to have a judge against you in, in a court like that and force the issue? Well, that was the intention of this judge. The intention of this judge was to put you in harm's way. That was the intention, to tell the IRP-5, you will either testify or we will end court today. We will close your case to five men who have no experience in the judicial system or process. This was a clear act of blatant intimidation. We will do what we can, and they believe and pray, really, on your not knowing is pro se, that they could get away with it. Once challenged, they became more infuriated. Dave, Sopolo, real quick. And then when she couldn't derail our defense, she then started requiring us to tell her what each one of our witnesses were going to testify to while the prosecution was in the courtroom. Say that again. She required us to go through our witness list and say, what is this person going to testify to while Kirsch was in the courtroom 
and we had to go through each member on that witness list to say this is what they're going to testify. So to. you're giving them, you're giving the the government a preview. Yes. So they could prepare to counter what you have written down on paper of what they're going to testify to. So everybody got to see that. So all the prosecution had to do, the government rather, all they had to do was do one thing. Let's go back in this room. Let's huddle. Let's conference. This is what this witness is going to say. This is an outrage and a complete violation of due process. How did you do that? Uh, and Lamont, just to chime in, this is Demetrius. When, at today's point, when we asked to say, can the prosecution be excused? She said, no, I see no. I said, well, you are given, just uh, to your point, we asked repeatedly. Can he be excused? Matthew Kirsch, Sunita Hazra, to be excused. John Smith, to be excused. No, I don't see But no the RP5 were not given information to the government's witness list to what they would testify. No. Is that correct? That's, That's correct. correct. We were never given any information, but we also impeached every one of their witnesses that because we were, we were able to show what the truth really was. So, ladies and gentlemen, you do understand why Judge Christine Aguayo should be disbarred and removed aggressively off the bench, whether it be by impeachment by the United States Congress, whoever needs to, this is unbelievable. I've never heard of it. That you tell the defense, give the prosecution your strategy for trial, guaranteeing a loss. Because as I said before, You've thrown the game. You've thrown the game. It's unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in 646-200-0628. You may be sitting there tonight, folks, thinking this has to be a movie online. This has to be Netflix or Hulu or any possible online production. Let me be clear. This is reality radio, and it's 100% true. The corruption of federal judge Christine Aguayo, it gets worse and worse every single time we hear more about her conduct. She must be held accountable. This is AJC Radio, the RP5, dealing with an issue in this country, in their case, overwhelmingly, and that's bias in our criminal justice system. Folks, hang on. AJC Radio will be right back. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom, 
of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prisons if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. And that's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs 
are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we deal with a very important issue, and that is bias in America's criminal justice system, the court system, uh, namely the RP5 case uh, of injustice suffered there. Uh, as we were uh, going into, we're going to get into that right now, David Banks breaking down really something that is unheard of, no matter what proceedings from traffic court to criminal Transcripts do not go missing. Transcripts do not become ghosts and walk out of courtrooms. In this particular case, the transcripts that would have shown Federal Judge Christine Arguello compelling the RP5 to testify, basically with an act of intimidation and a threat to basically shut the courtroom down, lock the doors, and throw these men in prison and be done. It comes to that reality. The bias here is unheard of. Missing transcripts in a case? The very transcripts that are set in place to overthrow a conviction that should have never happened. David, let's go back into this story and to this part of bias that is so outrageous. Well, bias is, uh, as you can say, uh, as Dr. Bean said in his report, he conducted an investigation in the case. Judge Arguello's bias was on display throughout the entire trial. But she went further. Now, a lot of people say, well, I can't believe you're talking about a federal judge. It's not popular to talk about a federal judge. Just like in many instances, it's not popular to talk about a police officer doing something wrong. But these things must, must be exposed. People's lives are being affected uh, both in uh, policing and in the courts. Now, to make a transcript disappear, as happened in this case, is a violation of federal criminal law, particularly obstruction of justice. Now, as I was talking earlier, during a sidebar, she made this statement. Either one of you testify, we're going to arrest your case. Well, if you fast forward a little bit, after we testified, we objected after being uh, uh, on the stand a while. And then we asked for a copy of the transcript because the Judge Arguello was denying that she compelled our testimony. Well... She, she wouldn't turn over the transcript. In fact, she actually denied that she made the statement. Well, if you believe, if she actually believed that she didn't make the statement, 
she should want to vindicate herself by showing us the transcript and say, look, here's what the transcript actually said, but she refused to turn it over. It shows guilt. It shows guilt. And as Judge Sarakin put it, the prosecutors who heard her make these statements remain silent when, in almost all cases, they're going to come to the defense of the judge. Of Judge, of judge Arguello says, no, we didn't hear that. They didn't say a single word. Judge Sarakin, who obviously everybody's aware of now, who reviewed the case, said the, the prosecutor's silence speaks volume. Right. Uh, so I don't think people understand. You can go into a courtroom, get threatened that you're not, I'm not going to allow you to put on your defense unless you agree to suspend your constitutional rights and testify, either, or you're not going to be able to put on a defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything more egregious than that, uh, especially with pro se defendants that we were. We're trying to put on a case because attorneys that were assigned to us were unwilling to put on a, a, a case with overwhelming evidence of innocence. So now we're forced to go into court uh, to put on a case by ourselves. No, we're not experienced, but as Ken said earlier, why should we allow uh, a conspiracy to serve us up on a platter and send us to prison with the involvement of the, of a judge and with the involvement of prosecutors and everybody conspiring together to make sure we're wrongly convicted? Uh, the, the stuff that occurred, no transcript. Now, now we're talking about we were accusing Judge Arguello of what amounts to violating the law, judicial misconduct at the highest level. And the law plainly states, in the 1971 case of Mayor v. Chicago, the Supreme Court said an appellate cannot be denied a record of sufficient completeness to permit proper consideration of his claims. They also went on to say that prejudicial, judicial, or prosecutorial misconduct cannot be fairly judged without a verbatim transcript. We were not provided. So how could the appellate court actually judge what occurred? And we'll get into some of that uh, possibly next week. Uh, And the Tenth Circuit case law plainly stated When the unavailability of a transcript makes it impossible for the appellate court to determine whether or not a judge or prosecutor committed prejudicial error, the case must be reversed. The case was not reversed. They started making excuses from the transcript disappeared to it was destroyed. We had all of these excuses. This was all to protect a judge's reputation and allow us to go to prison so the judge, judge's reputation, the prosecutor's reputation can be protected. If any citizen of this country actually believes and can imagine going into a court of law, getting your, your constitutional rights overtly violated, and when you try to prove that it, it was violated, the transcript disappears. This, we live in the digital age. This type of stuff just doesn't happen. So it's just outrageous. Uh, I'm still very, I'm disturbed in a way that I can't really, I can't really explain in words about this actually happening. And Americans should care 
about I don't care if it's Judge Arguello or Supreme Court justice. People should care that somebody's life is taken. We we everybody pays homage to the Constitution. But in reality, nobody really uh cares whether or not criminal defendants get a fair trial. And that's by and large uh in the public. Nobody people should be outraged over this because it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to a member of your family. It's just a matter of time if it hasn't happened already. And, well, and go ahead, Kendra. Real quick. And everyone at that sidebar was responsible for following the law. There should there were so many by law. There were so many safeguards there. The court should have seen the error. The government heard Judge Arguello basically order us to take the stand. They sat silent. So you say this is not biased. That is the the biggest form of bias I have that you can you can see. It's it's so huge. It's almost like it it couldn't have happened if I didn't live it myself. I would be hard to believe that a judge would 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 do this who's supposed to be protecting me by the law. But it's it's about you know what we're, we're the, the the government did their role. We're going to be quiet, not say anything, and the court did their role. We're going to hide it and. Come up with every excuse under the book except the truth. And no, to, without question. And to hide it, they had to get bring another person in this conspiracy. Court reporter Darlene Martinez, who works and is paid again by, by, Judge, by Judge Arguello. She's hired by Judge Arguello to work for Judge Arguello. It's not like some of the state systems where court reporters just one just shows up to your court when a proceeding happens. No, this particular court reporter works for Judge Arguello and is selected by Judge Arguello. And strangely, when we went back in, Judge Arguello uh, paid lip service to giving us a transcript at one point. As soon as we went back in to to, uh, ask about the transcript or or from the uh, court reporter, guess where she was at? In the judge's chambers. Hmm. So obviously it, it, it suggests that they're back there conspiring to conceal and obstruct justice you heard obstruction of everybody's heard obstruction of justice in the news in the president trump investigation this was this is this is a serious federal criminal law that was violated here by a federal judge people say well you can't say that yeah we can say it happened to us well yeah i mean look if if people want to live in la la land of what's true, what's real, what's not. Uh, walk one hour in the shoes of the RP5 uh, doing a case that was stacked against them from the very beginning. From the very beginning. The question on my mind is why? Why would you go to this extreme? And as we talk about the transcripts, doesn't happen it does not happen except someone is given a order or a a instruction to ensure that that transcript transcript disappears and you know what Something else happened there and you know what else judge arguello actually started speculating or putting out false speculation she had to know it's false speculation she started suggesting, this is on, on in-court record, that maybe the court reporter's headphones fell off during the sidebar. Well, she got the rest of the sidebar. It, it, fall, it fell off 
right immediately when, when she was making the statement? Is that that's an impossible uh, thing to defend? It's indefensible. But it's give, let's give the court reporter a hint on what lie to tell. That's basically what she was doing. Yeah, it's, it's that's um, look. When you bring anybody else in any type of criminal act, let's be clear. This is criminal. This is criminal. You have messed with documents of the court. It's as, it's as it's equal to as if somebody broke into the federal court building and stole records out of the court out of, out of the clerk's office. What do you think the penalty of that is to break into a federal court and steal documents? There's no difference here. The failure to surrender the transcript is the crime of death. You stole the transcript and you didn't produce it. The transcript in all uh, practical purposes would have shown at the appellate level a automatic overturn of the case because they would have to sanction Judge Arguello. They would have to throw out the conviction of the case. They'd have to vacate the conviction because the protocol of what normally happens in a situation with transcripts was severely violated. And that, to go back to David's point, the case law that he read that you know, um, you're absolutely right, Mont, that in the event the appellate court reads that and sees what that judge did, yeah, they would have to throw out the case that that is, uh, that is egregious, an egregious act. You broke the law by violating their constitutional right. But the fact that the, that the transcript was not there, it is plainly stated in Tenth Circuit law that you must overturn the case because you cannot you can't see what happened without the transcript. And for the appellate court to say, well, uh, you know, it's kind of a non-issue that the transcript is missing, that is why Judge Sarakin wrote the, his uh, articles in the Huffington Post, the case of the mysterious missing transcript. Because how does that happen in federal court? And then the appellate court says, well, we're going to give the judge a pass that the transcript's not there. No, you don't give the judge a pass. There is no transcript to judge between uh, her and the defendant, therefore you have to overturn the case. There is no middle ground to that. There is no question as to what happens. The case should have been overturned. And so not only did Judge Arguello commit federal crime, and uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch and Sunita Hazra, they committed crime by not exposing what happened there at the sidebar, but then the appellate court failed in their duty to overturn the case to follow uh, the judicial process and follow federal law. Let's say there is no transcript. You must overturn this case. Period. I mean, it's that simple. And as long as a judge believes that she is supported by her superiors and will get away with this, let me tell you something. The people that are in position of power will do and say anything as long as they believe they can get away with it. That is the problem with the culture of the system. Something should have troubled her that if I do this, there's repercussions coming back. 
she had in her in her twisted way of thinking had to believe and live with a God complex that I cannot be touched. A Just Cause organization, AJC Radio, and this advocacy organization, I can assure you, Judge Aguayo, you will be exposed for the corruption you levied against the IRP-5. One thing about this organization, we do not go away. We will continue to take this message to the people all across the United States and around the globe. What happens when a judge becomes so arrogant that she would do such a thing to the innocent? It is an outrage. And if you're not outraged, I don't know what it's going to take for you. Samson, your thoughts? I mean, just hearing more and more of the details of the case um, that I didn't know before, and just hearing everything that the absolute travesties of this supposed judicial system that these these men had to go through. Uh, I mean, like you said, I mean, if this if this doesn't like turn something up inside of you, that's like, wow, we thought we had this great criminal justice system, and now it's it's blatantly apparent just through this one case that we don't. The fact is that. Had this been any other case, had this been, like we mentioned before, the bias of what if it was a group of white professionals that were in there and they were going through the exact same thing, would that transcript have disappeared? Probably not. Probably not. But the fact of the matter is this judge, this biased judge, saw a group of black professionals and one Italian-American that were in there and they were producing, like we said, they were producing software. They were defending themselves. They were impeaching you know, all these witnesses, they were going toe-to-toe with the government, and they had to play the only card they had. Oh, absolutely, David. Well, this is egregious. We've been talking about Jason. We've been talking about Mr. Blake. We've talked about George Floyd. This conduct by the federal officials in our cases is egregious as any shooting because the, the conduct itself, uh, Mr. Blake isn't dead, but he's been crippled. By what's done, this man may never walk again. We lost eight years of freedom. This conduct, I don't care if it's in a federal court. People try to soften it because a person didn't die. Life is liberty and liberty is life. We lost our liberty and our ability to live our lives for eight years. And if anybody thinks that that puts you in a positive position, it doesn't. Uh, So... People need to be concerned about what's going on in the courts as well as, uh, as well as what's happening out on the street. No, 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 absolutely right, David. Well said. Uh, look, ladies and gentlemen, as we venture into unfamiliar but yet very familiar territory of injustice, it is our purpose, it is our obligation as advocates to raise the banner of justice and to Hold those accountable that continue to affect the lives, not only of the RP5, but of the thousands of people that suffer at the hand of injustice every day. In this particular case, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, a petition will be going forward to ask for the impeachment, the removal, if you will, from the bench. 
Federal Judge Christine Arguello, a just cause organization, will lead that petition. It is our purpose, it is our reason, when you see what has happened to these men, no one should suffer at the hands of this judge ever again in their lifetime. Join us next week as we look at a very special show, looking back at 9-11, and really where the RP 5 could make a difference to keep the homeland safe. That's next Thursday here on AJC Radio. So next time, America, good night. We'll talk to you next time. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in... China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech somewhere I read of the freedom of press somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right and so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you But I want you to know tonight that we 